This podcast is brought to you by Vinzero. Vinzero pioneers solutions and services to the AEC and manufacturing industries to support net zero targets. Visit Vinzero.com to learn more about how organisations design, build and solve through digitalisation. From Vinzero to you, welcome to our Think Future podcast series. Each week we'll share conversations with industry leaders from around the world to find out how they're thinking future. Subscribe to Vinzero Think Future for access to more episodes, interviews and profiles. Langer Rock is an international engineering and construction company delivering state-of-the-art infrastructure and building projects for clients across the UK, the Middle East and Australia, with a focus on modern construction, radical collaboration and the use of purposeful technology they are a leading practitioner for a sustainable built environment, delivering high-value solutions through the use of AI, robotics and low-carbon materials. Joining the conversation today are Jordana North, Head of Technology and Innovation, and Holly Hines, General Manager of Sustainability from the Australian Operations. Welcome to the program, ladies. Thanks for having us. Thanks very much. Lang O'Rourke's mission is to be the recognised leader for innovation and excellence. Let's start with you, Georgina. What does this mean from a technology leadership perspective. Thanks, Anthea. Look, for us at Lang O'Rourke, innovation is defined as change that unlocks value. And innovation is really a broad term, right? It can be as rigorous as creative problem-solving processes. It can be a mindset and a culture of embracing change. And that can be big or little changes. And of course, it's the things like new ideas, technologies and ways of working. And really, to be an innovator, you need all of these things to drive technology leadership. At Langer Rock and in the industry, we need to push the boundaries to demonstrate the art of the possible so that we can deliver safe sites, more productive sites, and really deliver sustainable assets. And Holly, for you as a sustainability lead, where does this statement sit with you? Look, for me, innovation and sustainability really do work hand in hand. It's clear that we need to innovate as we move towards the 2050 transition because what we're doing in today and what we've done in the past uh, isn't suffice for what we need to do to sustain our population and the planet. If we're innovating, we obviously need to keep sustainability principles front of mind. Otherwise, we're really missing a trick. So that hand-in-glove approach is something that I'm really keen for us to keep our finger on a pulse with. We really must have that lens of sustainability when thinking about innovation Innovation has a purpose and for us that purpose at Langer Rourke is to do things better in service of humanity and it's really important to highlight that for us the concept of humanity encompasses human beings but also that really delicate interconnectedness and interdependence between us and nature. For me excellence means being the change that you want to see and doing things the best way that they can be done and building on them continually. Excellence is achieved through consistency and in the realm of sustainability, prioritising environmental stewardship and social value when cost is really a well-known imperative, really requires dedicated time and effort. So Holly, Scope 3 emissions are a major consideration for many organisations when they consider their own science-based target initiatives. What approach is Lang O'Rourke taking to engaging with its supply chain? Look, we're a construction and engineering company that delivers infrastructure and big assets. And it won't be a surprise that most of our carbon footprint come from our Scope 3 emissions, in particular the goods and services that we purchase to deliver those projects and those assets. 
And those big ticket items of most materiality is in concrete, steel and asphalt. So our scope three emissions represent 95% of our total carbon emissions, which is a huge part of the footprint. I think many in the industry are starting to call it, you know, the wicked problem around scope three because we are reliant on those relationships with our supply chain. So to engage with our supply chain, who really provide us the majority of these goods and services, we make sure we start from a relationship point of view. We have an annual supply chain forum where we share our targets. We educate our partners on what we're trying to achieve and where we're trying to go and why we're trying to change the way that we build. And we really pride ourselves in taking them along the journey with us because we're not one without them and they're not one without us. We, we really are a team in that space. We're also holding the mirror up internally as to the way that we procure. We're acutely aware that the solutions for scope three towards our transition of 2050 are not yet known. There's going to be millions upon millions of solutions needed to get us to 2050. And the way that we procure is pretty archaic. And when I say we, I mean industry and it's across the value chain. You know, we need to invest in our supply chain and give our supply chain confidence to invest in their product. And we need to be the enabler with our clients as well around trying things differently, removing the barriers to change and really give our supply chain certainty to invest in their product. And that can be in the form of continuation of work. We've also linked our supply chain up with relationship managers that are dedicated to work with each of our supply chain partners to make sure that they understand our sustainability targets, but also what we're trying to achieve as a business. I think the second point is we advocate for our supply chain partners through the work that we do with our industry bodies, which includes the likes of the Australian Constructors Association. We're influencing across that entire value stream to drive change with our clients, our design partners, our supply chain partners, and of course, within our own business. The sooner we can have that alignment and make sure everyone knows what we're running towards and the mechanisms that we need to change to enable uh, a difference, the better. So that advocacy is a really important piece as well. And Georgina, beyond supply chain engagement, you mentioned the art of the possible. Can we explore that a little more? I love that term, the art of the possible, because Technology, innovation, even sustainability as, as a field, it, it's, it's emerging. It's always a combination of art and science. It's innovation and technology. To me, it's messy, it's, it's creative, and it's showing others a pathway that they might not have otherwise considered. It gets you out of the daily grind uh, of delivering work and into thinking about the future and how we prepare for it. And for that to be effective, you need to show it demonstrate the concept, tell the story and take people, our clients, our supply chain, our employees on a journey. And that journey could be questions like, how do you use low carbon concrete in practice? Uh, what materials will we be building with in the next 10 years? What if you could design a bridge in half a day with half the carbon? How could you use robotics to automate unsafe work? And when will an AI be able to predict financial and sustainable outcomes better than we can. So yeah, I think the art of the possible is about showing people, uh, getting them to kick the tires and see the proof points of, of what's possible. 
hilariously, it's the art of the possible, not the art of the probable. So there's a huge amount of work that you need to do in the background to balance your bets, to lift those probabilities of success. You want to work through the process and manage a portfolio of possibilities so that you have a chance of that value showing up in the face of uncertainty. And through that management of innovation and technology, we can demonstrate a clear pathway, an evidence-based pathway to reducing our carbon. And I guess the carbon conversation brings us back to you, Holly. So what are you seeing in terms of what's possible there? Well, first and foremost, I'm seeing the carbon conversation mature in spades across the entire value chain. From conversations with clients and our supply chain, there is a greater understanding that carbon must be considered throughout the entire life cycle of an asset. And whilst I know that sounds obvious, it's just not been the case to date. And it must be considered in the traditional value for money equation if we really do want to see solutions come to the fore. We have recently seen the New South Wales government release a guide on cost-benefit analysis stating that the cost of CO2 emissions or the benefits of reduced CO2 emissions should be included in cost-benefit analysis on all infrastructure projects. And similarly, we've seen Infrastructure Australia release an interim guide to assessing greenhouse gas emissions. Over the next 12 months, They'll be engaging with stakeholders to formalise and embed consideration of greenhouse gas emissions in the Infrastructure Australian Assessment Framework, which when you think about where we were just a few short years ago, this is a huge step forward for Australia in this space. Once carbon is considered in that traditional value for money equation and it's considered equally to that of time, cost and quality, things will move really, really quickly. The other things that I'm seeing uh, in terms of what's possible from a carbon point of view is leadership in use around biofuels. We've got a cracking case study at the moment in the aviation industry where we've seen all uh, competitors kind of take off their armbands and sit in a room together and they've really come together to form what has been termed a buyer's alliance for SAF, which is sustainable aviation fuel, to create a market so that everyone in their playing space can actually benefit. So in a time where we know what the solutions are for reducing our scope one and scope two footprints, which is HVO and electrification, but these solutions aren't actually either available in Australia or where they are available they're not at all commercially viable, this kind of approach should really be considered. So we also, uh, as an industry, should be considering banding together to drive policy, which leads to incentivization, and really create the market conditions that are needed to sustain the transition that we're looking for. So we're using our voices at Lang O'Rourke to advocate to create a market for biofuels in Australia. Without biofuels, we won't be able to reduce our scope one emissions in time for many of the targets that we've set ourselves. And electrification is obviously a more preferred way, but there are some delays in those supply chains as well. And there's some huge complexities with civil construction plant around electrification. So we need that market to come to us. The other thing that I'm seeing is that electrification for vehicles. 
So we rely heavily on our supply chain. We've mentioned that before. So we have conversations with our suppliers constantly and we're continuously reviewing our procurement practices to understand what is available in market in terms of electric plant and equipment. So we've committed to many things at Lang O'Rourke and I'll touch on the electrification in a tick, but we've got a number of minimum standards that we um, are running around biofuels, hybrid solar generations on site sheds, smart metering, green electricity. We're investing in our own plant hire business called Select around electric plant and equipment. So when we ask what's possible, there's a lot that's possible. We're waiting for the hammer to drop in terms of some of the big solutions to be available in Australia, but we're not sitting on our hands and waiting for that to come to us. We're working really hard to make incremental steps and incremental change. And then those few early years where we did that, we're starting to really reap the rewards in terms of uh, reduced scope one and scope two emissions. So let's just take a minute to shine a light on some of the Lang O'Rourke innovations that you've touched on there. So our select plant hire business, which is a subsidiary of Lang O'Rourke, has really turned its focus and attention to electrification opportunities. And that's in three main areas. That's in material handling and lifting, transport and site logistics, and also power systems. So to date, we have really invested in electric fleet and we've procured a number of electric plant and equipment within those three areas. In an Australian first, we have two electric cooler cranes that have turned up, one in Perth and one in Sydney. We've got 10 telehandlers, three forklifts. We're starting to electrify the transport and site logistics side of things. We're moving our crew trucks to electric. We've got five of them on our books. Uh, solar paneled lighting and vehicle messaging signals, over a hundred of them. And they don't sound sexy, but they make a really big difference. And then in the power system space, we've got solar powered site compounds, hybrid generators and battery energy storage systems. So when we can't go fully electric, we are investing in hybrid and it's making a huge difference for our uh, emissions profile. So Georgina, what about the role of digital engineering in the context of sustainability? How is this going to change the game for Lang O'Rourke? Such a big question and a really important one. The role of digital and digital engineering is really already so critical to our core business. It's the centre of how we go to work. So by adding or integrating in that carbon and sustainability and nature and social factors, um, the data on quantities, material specs, geometries, supply chain data, construction methodology, and all the visualizations of that data that goes with it makes sense holistically to embed into our digital models. When we can track this data, we can track carbon across all of our projects, whole projects, whole of life, right down to the individual construction elements. It gives us the transparency on carbon and other elements, sustainability elements for mandatory corporate reporting. It gives us the baseline to optimize carbon in design. It can give us data for scenario planning, carbon forecasting, and down to critical client and supply chain conversations on change. And all of that really ultimately drives new methods, new materials, and a step change to reducing our carbon. We're seeing an emerging digital technology landscape you know, happening in our ecosystems as well. 
products that are commoditizing and making life cycle assessments really accessible for all companies. We're seeing platforms for carbon passports, um, eco-parametric modeling tools, uh, the validation or monitoring of performance of new materials using sensors. We're seeing carbon blockchain trading. And as this space matures, it's going to be critical for that to be integrated into our internal digital systems and, and ecosystems. The other thing that we're doing at Lang O'Rourke is we have created our own carbon calculator, which is a real interface with our digital engineering tool. So the ideal situation is that we come to a point where we have our design in a model and that design both uh, talks from a carbon point of view, but also a constructability point of view in real time, potentially even talking to the machines out on site as well. That enables us, and Gina touched on it, to do some very quick takeoffs around corporate reporting requirements. But most importantly, it gives us real-time information that if we are swapping something in or out based on an idea that an engineer has or a specification or a workshop that we're looking at or a new material, that we'll be able to understand the impact from a global warming potential So we'll actually get real-time data associated with the embodied carbon of what we're working with. Similarly, we have used a digital platform to enable our supply chain to be able to give us the data that we seek and that we need for corporate uh, reporting quickly and more simplified. We still have a long way to go. The industry, the world globally has a long way to go for scope three data emissions and really getting accurate scope three data. So we're starting to take steps at the moment to make that more simple for our supply chain to input, but for us to not spend as much time. So there's an efficiency piece there as well. The final thing that we're doing is, um, you know, really challenging ourselves. This might sound very construction 101, But when we actually look at what we're doing through a lens of carbon reduction, really challenging ourselves on the the discipline of construction methodology and making sure that we are making the right decisions at the right time to make sure we're reducing our need and reliance on fuel and electricity. And our digital model can really help with that as well. Gina touched on the ability to run scenarios Uh, And it's a great way for us to plan our works too. So it works both ways. Are you looking for a digitalisation and net zero partner to help you achieve your goals? Join the thousands of AEC and manufacturing customers globally who have turned to VinZero to start their journey toward a net zero future. With 32 offices around the world, VinZero can connect you to the right technologies and workflow processes so you can maintain your competitive position and increase profitability. Vinzero has an industry expert to help you navigate the best pathway forward, wherever you are on your digitalisation and net zero journey. Visit vinzero.com to find out more. So Georgina, one of the work streams of the technology and innovation team that you lead is low carbon materials. Could you tell us what your team is doing in this space off the back of Holly's comments there? Sure. This talented team, headed up by Monica Hannah-Smith, is laser-focused on that wicked challenge of Scope 3 emissions. How do we decarbonise concrete, steel, asphalt, our major contributors to global emissions? So these materials team, 
uh, it's actually really multidisciplinary and big on that systems thinking. It touches on all parts of the business, from engineering to procurement, sustainability, of course, but also corporate policy and critically commercial. The team is made up as technical subject matter experts in material science. They're also driving transformational change in the business to get these materials adopted. So it's as much about change management and human-centered change uh, as much as it is the technology. They're also very active on the advocacy, collaboration and influencing part in the industry. Holly's touched on it, but we just can't do this on our own. So our clients, our supply chain, the industry bodies, um, the the team are right out there as much outside in the business as they are in, really pushing to overcome these barriers and accelerate. The team are focused on today. So the foundational work that needs to happen to unlock existing materials that are lower carbon than business as usual, challenging technical specifications, or dare I say it, the status quo within the specifications, but they're also focused on tomorrow. So this tidal wave of new materials and low carbon solutions that are coming to market, but also the implication of what happens when we run out of some of these, such as slag or fly ash. What are the trade-offs if some of these solutions have lower carbon, but a damage to biodiversity And even down to considerations like the timing of when does our supply chain transition to renewable energy. So we're thinking about all these things in the future and how do we as a contractor help accelerate this energy transition. They're driving change inside and outside the organisation, really pushing the boundaries of what's possible. And like I said, it's very critical and talented team and a, a privilege to work with them. And you just touched on there the human element. So 10 years ago, social value was a nice to have category. Holly, this is probably a question for you because it's now an investable metric to which Lang O'Rourke are embracing. So what can you share about the approach to social? Yeah, look, it's without doubt an incredibly important part of just general business today. It's a huge part of our collective social license, but also enterprise value. Uh, And when I say collective social license, we all know what that means on a job that's going well or that's going difficult, but it's that whole value chain consideration again. It's that politicians um, are happy with the asset that's left. It's that the community embrace it and don't want to walk away from it. It's that the construction goes well. There's so many elements to it. We're really looking at a number of aspects in this space around inclusive workspaces, supply diversity, Indigenous empowerment, future generations, and of course, we've kind of touched on environment. But I'll give a few examples. So our approach to inclusive employment and wellbeing focuses on opportunities provided to local diverse communities to achieve quality of life improvements. And it really means placing a place-based approach to tackling societal disadvantage. And it's something that we're really passionate about So our social procurement and gender equity targets are part of our core business strategy and we're seeing some serious results. In Australia, we've increased overall female participation over the last four years from 26 to 35%, which is phenomenal because the industry average in construction is 12%. And we've increased our Australian Executive Committee female composition to 45%. So we have that diversity of thought at the highest level in our business. From a supplier diversity point of view, 
we're driving change in this space through some really passionate work that we're doing with our supply chain to create local sustainable economies. So this includes the opportunities provided to social enterprise and Indigenous businesses and local small and medium enterprises in our regional local government areas. Our business is really passionate about this and we're supporting them from a commercial lens as well uh, where we pride ourselves on some really short payment terms where we're getting money to our supply chain where it's really needed quickly. From an Indigenous empowerment point of view, We have a very strong strategic focus on reconciliation. We were the first construction company in Australia to have a reconciliation action plan and our projects in Australia provide us with a unique opportunity to foster strong and authentic relationships and also really importantly to provide employment, training and contracting opportunities for local Indigenous people and businesses. So in the last 12 months, And by the end of our financial year, which is March 31st, we had engaged 141 First Nations businesses in our supply chain with a spend of nearly $70 million. So that's 10 times the industry average and is a 22% increase from the previous year. So those stats really go to show what you can do when you're really focusing on something and how we can use and harness the passion in our business to get some fabulous results. It would be remiss of me not to talk about future generations, and this is what I was linking social value a little bit to enterprise value. So future generations is is a key focus for Langerwalk. We're investing in our future generations of workers. There's a particular focus on new entrants to our industry. We know that we don't have the capacity to do the work that's ahead of us and we're at risk of losing fabulous people to the world of tech or different industries that don't come with the connotations that construction can be seen with. It's about equipping people with skills that our industry needs now and in the future so we can continue to invest in building the infrastructure that's required, especially towards our transition to 2050. Our apprenticeships, traineeships, graduate and intern strategies are fundamental in driving positive outcomes. And we're doing a huge amount of work with local schools around all of the projects that we work with on a STEM plus program. So we're keeping an eye on the gender targets through those future generations as well. So to wrap up, I started with social license and I must finish with it. For us, it's empowering our clients along with the public in service of humanity In fact, we really challenge the way that we build so as that we can leave positive and lasting legacies in the communities that we operate in. Well, congratulations to Lango Rourke. There's some really great initiatives and results in there, that's for sure. So, Georgina, under your modern methods of construction approach, Lango Rourke are deploying cutting-edge design for manufacture and assembly projects. What sort of results can you share there? Langer Rook's DFMA approach is well embedded across all of our hubs. It is, again, the way we go to work. It influences sustainability outcomes. We're able to deploy infrastructure uh, that has social benefits, it has carbon benefits. A really good example of this is our Digital Bridges Initiative, where we are able to reduce the carbon by 30%. We're able to engage local supply chain because, you know, we don't need specialized equipment. We're able to have less people on site 
uh, because it's easy to assemble and doesn't require as many people. And we're able to make sure that the public have access to their infrastructure earlier um, by, for example, you know, only closing roads for 24 hours to install a bridge. So there's a, a ton of co-benefits that come with DFMA. To add to that, there's an innovation that comes from off-site construction as well that sits in the social space. And we're seeing a safer workplace. We're seeing a more controlled workplace where we're able to engage different members of our society to be involved in construction who would traditionally see themselves as not having a, a place in the construction industry. And there's huge social benefits with it that come from that. And we're delighted to be a part of that change. So with so many great innovations already underway at Lang O'Rourke and so much opportunity, as we've spoken about today, when you think future, what is it that excites you the most, Georgina, about the coming years? Oh, so much to be excited about. But the one that I'll call out is the growing advocacy and importance that's being placed on nature in the race to net zero. So we've had a huge impact on our natural environment that we need to repair. The burning platform is here and the world is now realising the co-benefits of solving for both carbon and biodiversity at the same time. And there's huge opportunity for technology and innovation in this space. Whether it's using robotics, advanced materials, AI, or even digital platforms to create new products and new ways to work with and value nature, this is super exciting. So watch this space. Can't wait. How about you, Holly? Yeah, look, the thing that's getting me really excited at the moment is the concept of informed decision-making. We have more data than we've ever had. Being able to harness that data, especially to tackle the complexity associated with carbon, is a phenomenal opportunity for us. Now, when I talk about informed decision-making, I'm seeing board compositions shift to have chief sustainability officers front and centre and really leading conversations that businesses could have only dreamed of having in the past. I'm seeing informed investment around uh, prioritising sustainability and sustainable investment in all of its forms. We're going to see policy move quickly. But most importantly, we're really going to see carbon, and I touched on this earlier, considered in a monetary way that makes it less about something intangible and more about something that we can solve. Because when we have a clear problem, we all come together as absolute problem solvers and there's nothing that we can't do. So I'm really looking forward to the pace of that change and all of that stems from having really informed data. Well, Holly Hines and Georgina North, it's so wonderful to hear the accelerated and forward-thinking strategies Lang O'Rourke are bringing to industry. Thank you very much for joining the conversation today. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. This podcast was brought to you by VinZero. VinZero helped the AEC and manufacturing industries keep pace with digital change and achieve their technological and sustainability leadership goals. VinZero is a company that cares about creating and building a better world. Together, we are working with industry and environmental experts, providing forums and platforms through our VinZero Think community to create conversations that matter to our future generations. 
We invite you to join in the conversation and participate in our Think community. Like and subscribe to Think Future to stay up to date with the latest innovations and conversations as we take AEC and manufacturing around the world closer to zero. You can download our podcasts at vinzero.com or from your favourite podcast platform. From Vinzero Think Future, thanks for listening. Thank you.